0: Chapter twenty six of the Enchanted Barn This Librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Gail Mattern The Enchanted Barn by Grace Livingston Hill Chapter twenty six The ride back to the city was like a dream to Shirley afterward. To see the staid Mr Barnard so excited, babbling away about her bravery, and exulting like a child over the recovery of the precious notes was wonder enough but to feel the quiet protection and tender interest of sidney graham filled her with ecstasy of course it was only kindly interest and friendly anxiety and by to-morrow she would have put it into order with all his other kindlinesses but to-night weary and excited as she was with the sense of horror over her recent experience still upon her it was sweet to feel his attention and to let his voice thrill through her tired heart without stopping to analyze it, and be sure she was not too glad over it. What if he would be merely a friend to-morrow again? To-night he was her rescuer, and she would rest back upon that and be happy. "'I feel that I was much to blame for leaving you alone to go to the station with a bait like these notes in your possession,' said Mr. Barnard humbly, though, of course, I did not dream that there was any such possibility as your being in danger.' "'It is just as well not to run any risks in these days, when the country is so unsettled,' said the detective dryly. "'Especially where a lady is concerned,' remarked Graham significantly. "'I suppose I should have taken Miss Hollister with me and left her in the cab while I transacted my business at the War Department,' said Barnard, with self-reproach in his tones. "'They would have only done the same thing in front of the War Department,' said the detective convincingly. They had it all planned to get those notes somehow. You only made it a trifle easier for them by letting the lady go alone. If they hadn't succeeded here, they would have followed you to your home and got into your office or your safe. They are determined, desperate men. We've been watching them for some time, letting them work till we could find out who was behind them. Tonight we caught the whole bunch red-handed, thanks to the lady's cleverness. "'But you had better not risk her alone again when there's anything like this on hand. She might not come out so easy next time.' Graham muttered a fervent applause in a low tone to this advice, tucking the lap robes closer about the girl. Barnard gave little shudders of apology, as he humbly shouldered the blame. "'Oh, no, of course not. I certainly am so sorry.' But Shirley suddenly roused herself to explain. "'Indeed!' you mustn't any of you blame mr barnard he did the perfectly right and natural thing he always trusts me to look after my notes even in the most important cases and i heard the warning as much as he did it was my business to be on the lookout i'm old enough and have read enough in the papers about spies and ruffians i ought to have known there was something wrong when that boy ordered me back and said mr barnard had sent me word I ought to have known Mr. Barnard would never do that. I did know, just as soon as I stopped to think. The trouble was, I was giving half my attention to looking at the strange sights out of the window, and thinking what I would tell the folks at home about Washington, or I would not have got into such a position. I insist that you shall not blame yourself, Mr. Barnard. It is a secretary's business to be on her job, and not be out having a good time when she is on a business trip. I hadn't got beyond the city limits before i knew exactly what i ought to have done i should have asked that boy more questions and i should have got right out of that car and told him to tell you i would wait in the station till you came for me it troubled me from the start that you had sent for me that way it wasn't like you then they turned their questions upon her and she had to tell the whole story of her capture graham and barnard exclaiming indignantly as she went on the detective sitting grim and serious nodding his approval now and then. Graham's attitude toward her grew more tender and protective. Once or twice, as she told of her situation in the old house, or spoke of how the man dragged her along in the dark, he set his teeth and drew his breath hard, saying in an undertone, The villain! And there was that in the way that he looked at her that made Shirley hasten through the story because of the wild, joyous clamor of her heart as soon as the city limits were reached graham stopped the car to telephone it was after eleven o'clock and there was little chance that george would have stayed at the phone so long but he would leave a message for the early morning at least george however had stuck to his post sure i'm here yet what do you think couldn't sleep could i with my sister off alone with a feller somewhere being kidnapped what do you say found her she's all right Ah, oh, gee that's good i told carol you would i told her not to worry what'd you say oh shirley's going to talk oh hello shirley how's washington some speed eh say when you're coming home to-morrow that's good no mother doesn't know a thing she thinks i went to bed early cause i planned to go fishing at sunrise she went to bed herself early say mr graham's a prince isn't he well i guess i'll go to bed now I might make the fishing in the morning yet, if I don't sleep too late. I sure am glad you're all right. Well, so long, Shirley.' Shirley turned from the phone with tears in her eyes. It wasn't what George said that made her smile tenderly through them, but the gruff tenderness in his boy tones that touched her so. She hadn't realized before what she meant to him. They drove straight to the station, got something to eat, and took the midnight train back to their home city graham had protested that shirley should go to a hotel and get a good rest before attempting the journey but she laughingly told him she could rest anywhere and would sleep like a top in the train when graham found that it was possible to secure berths in the sleeper for them all and that they would not have to get out until seven in the morning he withdrew his protests and his further activities took the form of supplementing her supper with fruit and bonbons his lingering hand-clasp as he bade her good-night told her how glad he was that she was safe, as if his eyes had not told her the same story every time they had been light enough for them to be seen. Locked at last into her safe little stateroom, with a soft bed to lie on and no bothersome notes to be guarded, one would have thought she might have slept, but her brain kept time to the wheels, and her heart with her brain. She was going over and over the scenes of the eventful day and living through each experience again, until she came to the moment when she looked up to find herself in Sidney Graham's arms, with her face against his shoulder. Her face glowed in the dark at the remembrance, and her heart thrilled wildly sweet with the memory of his look and tone, and all his carefulness for her. How wonderful that he should have come so many miles to find her! That he should have been the one to find her first, with all those other men on the hunt! He had forged ahead— and picked her up before any of the others had reached her he had not been afraid to rush up to an armed villain and snatch her from her perilous position he was a man among men never mind if he wasn't her own personal property never mind if there were others in his own world who might claim him later he was hers for tonight she would never forget it she slept at last profoundly with a smile upon her lips no dream of villains no wild automobile rides, came to trouble her thoughts. And when she woke in the home station, with familiar sounds outside, and realized that a new day was before her, her heart was flooded with a happiness that her common sense found it hard to justify. She tried to steady herself while she made her toilet, but the face that was reflected rosily from the mirror in her little dressing-room would smile contagiously back at her. "'Well then, have it your own way for just one more day,' she said aloud to her face in the glass, "'but to-morrow you must get back to common sense again.' Then she turned, fresh as a rose, and went out to meet her fellow-travelers. She went to breakfast with Sidney Graham. A wonderful breakfast in a wonderful place, with fountains and palms and quiet perfect service. Mr. Barnard had excused himself and hurried away to his home.' promising to meet shirley at the office at half-past nine and so these two sat at a little round table by themselves and had sweet converse over their coffee shirley utterly forgot for the time that she was only a poor little stenographer working for her bread and living in a barn sidney graham's eyes were upon her in deep and unveiled admiration his spirit speaking to hers through the quiet little commonplaces to which he must confine himself in this public place. It was not till the meal was over, and he was settling his bill, that Shirley suddenly came to herself, and the colour flooded her sweet face. What was she better than any other poor fool of a girl, who let a rich man amuse himself for a few hours in her company, and then let him carry her heart away with him, to toss with his collection? She drew her dignity about her, and tried to be distant as they went out to the street, but he simply did not recognize it at all he just kept his tender deferential manner and smiled down at her with that wonderful exalted look that made her dignity seem cheap so there was nothing to do but look up as a flower would to the sun and be true to the best that was in her heart she was surprised to find his own car at the door when they came out on the street he must have phoned for it before they left the station he was so kind and thoughtful It was so wonderful to her to be cared for in this way. Just as if I were a rich girl in his own social set, she thought to herself. He gave his chauffeur the orders and sat beside her in the back seat, continuing his role of admirer and protector. It certainly is great to think you're here beside me, he said in a low tone as they threaded their way in and out of the crowded thoroughfare toward the office. I didn't have a very pleasant afternoon and evening yesterday, I can tell you. I DON'T THINK WE'LL LET YOU GO OFF ON ANY MORE SUCH errands. YOU'RE TOO PRECIOUS TO RISK IN PERIL LIKE THAT, YOU KNOW. Shirley's cheeks were beautiful to behold, as she tried to lift her eyes easily to his glance and take his words as if they had been a mere commonplace. But there was something deep down in the tone of his voice, and something intent and personal in his glance, that made her drop her eyes swiftly and covered her with a sweet confusion.' They were at the office almost immediately, and Graham was helping her out. "'Now, when will you be through here?' he asked, glancing at his watch. "'What train are you planning to take down to the shore? "'I suppose you'll want to get back as soon as possible.' "'Yes,' said Shirley doubtfully, "'I do. "'But I don't know whether I oughtn't to run out home first and get Mother's big old shawl "'and two or three other little things we ought to have brought along.' no said graham quickly with a flash of anxiety in his face i wouldn't if i were you they'll be anxious to see you and if it's necessary you can run up again sometime i think you'll find there are lots of shawls down at the cottage i'm anxious to have you safely landed with your family once more i promised carol you'd be down the first train after you got your work done how long is it going to take you to fix mr barnard up so he can run things without you oh not more than two hours i should think unless he wants something more than i know well two hours it is half past nine now we'll say two hours and a half that ought to give you time i think there's a train about then i'll phone to the station and find out and let you know the exact time the car will be here waiting for you oh mr graham that's not a bit necessary you have taken trouble enough for me already protested shirley no trouble at all declared graham my chauffeur hasn't a thing to do but hang around with the car this morning and you might as well ride as walk i'll phone you in plenty of time he lifted his hat and gave her a last look that kept the glow in her cheeks she turned and went with swift steps into her elevator Sidney graham dropped his chauffeur at the station to inquire about trains and get tickets with orders to report at his office within an hour and himself took the wheel Quickly working his way out of the city's traffic, he put on all possible speed toward Glenside. He must get a glimpse of things, and see that all was going well before he went to the office. What would Shirley have said if she had carried out her plan of coming out for her mother's shawl? He must put a stop to that at all costs. She simply must not see the old barn till the work was done, or the whole thing would be spoiled. Strange, it had not occurred to him that she might want to come back after something. Well, He would just have to be on the continual lookout. For one thing, he would stop at a store on the way back and purchase a couple of big steamer rugs and a long, warm cloak. He could smuggle them into the cottage somehow, and have the servants bring them out for common use, as if they belonged to the house. He was as eager as a child over every little thing that had been started during his absence, and walked about with the boss carpenter, settling two or three questions that had come up the day before. In ten minutes he was back in his car, whirling toward the city again, planning how he could best get those rugs and cloaks into the hands of the housekeeper at the shore, without anybody suspecting that they were new. Then it occurred to him to take them down to Elizabeth, and let her engineer the matter. There must be two cloaks, one for Shirley, for he wanted to take her out in the car sometimes, and her little scrap of a coat was entirely too thin, even for summer breezes at the shore shirley met with a great ovation when she entered the office it was evident that her fame had gone before her mr barnard was already there smiling benevolently and mr clegg frowning provingly over his spectacles at her the other office clerks came to shake hands or called congratulations till shirley was quite overwhelmed at her reception Clegg and Barnard both followed her into the inner office, and continued to congratulate her on the bravery she had shown, and to express their appreciation of her loyalty and courage in behalf of the firm. Mr. Barnard handed her a check for a hundred dollars, as a slight token of their appreciation of her work, telling her that beginning with the first of the month, her salary was to be raised. When at last she sat down to her typewriter, and began to click out the wonderful notes, that had made so much trouble, and put them in shape for practical use, her head was in a whirl, and her heart was beating with a childish ecstasy. She felt as if she were living a real fairy tale, and would not ever be able to get back to common everyday life again. At half-past eleven, Graham called her up to tell her there was a train a little after twelve, if she could be ready, and the car would be waiting for her in fifteen minutes. When she finally tore herself away from the smiles and effusive thanks of Barnard and Clegg, and took the elevator down to the street, she found Sidney Graham himself awaiting her eagerly. This was a delightful surprise, for he had not said anything about coming himself, or mentioned when he would be coming back to the shore, so she had been feeling that it might be some time before she would see him again. He had just slammed the door of the car and taken his seat beside her, when a large gray limousine slowed down beside them, and a radiant, well-groomed, much-tailored young woman leaned out of the car, smiling at Graham, and passing over Shirley with one of those unseeing stares wherewith some girls know so well how to erase other girls. "'Oh, Sidney, I'm so glad I met you,' she cried. "'Mother has been phoning everywhere to find you.' We are out at our country place for a couple of weeks, and she wants to ask you to come over this afternoon for a little tennis tournament we are having, with a dance on the lawn afterward. "'That's very kind of you, Harriet,' said Graham pleasantly. "'But I can't possibly be there. I have an engagement out of town for this afternoon and evening. Give my regards to your mother, please, and thank her for the invitation. I know you'll have a lovely time. You always do at your house.' "'Oh!' "'That's too bad, Sidney,' pouted the girl. "'Why will you be so busy? "'And in the summertime, too. "'You ought to take a vacation. "'Well, if you can't come tonight, "'you'll run down over the weekend, won't you? "'We are having the Forresters and the Harveys. "'You like them, and we simply can't do without you.' "'Sorry,' said Graham smilingly, "'but I've got all my weekends filled up just now. "'Harriet, let me introduce you to Miss Hollister. "'Miss Hale?' Miss Hollister. Then did Harriet Hale have to take over her unseeing stare and acknowledge the introduction. Somewhat stiffly it must be acknowledged, for Harriet Hale did not enjoy having her invitations declined, and she could not quite place this girl with the lovely face and the half-shabby garments that yet had somehow an air of having been made by a French artist. I'm sorry, Harriet, but we'll have to hurry away. We're going to catch a train at twelve-fifteen. Hope you have a beautiful time this afternoon remember me to tom harvey and the foresters sorry to disappoint you harriet but you see i've got my time just full up at present hope to see you soon again they were off shirley with the impression of harriet hale's smile of vinegar and roses the roses for graham the vinegar for her shirley's heart was beating wildly underneath her quiet demeanour she had at last met the wonderful harriet Hale and graham had not been ashamed to introduce her there had been protection and enthronement in his tone as he spoke her name it had not been possible for miss hale to patronize her after that shirley was still in a daze of happiness she did not think ahead she had all she could do to register new occurrences and emotions and realize that her joy was not merely momentary it had not occurred to her to wonder where graham was going out of town it was enough that he was here now When they reached the station, Graham took two large packages out of the car and gave some directions to the chauffeur. "'Sorry we couldn't have gone down in the car again,' he said as they walked into the station, "'but it needs some repairs, and I don't want to take as long a run as that until it has been thoroughly overhauled.' Then he was going down, too. He had declined Harriet Hale's invitation to go back to the cottage with her." shirley's breath came in little happy gasps as she walked beside her companion down the platform to the train she found herself presently being seated in a big green velvet chair in the parlour-car while the porter stowed away the two big packages in the rack overhead chapter twenty six